Okay. Folks, I'm sorry for the delay here. We're going to go ahead and get started finally. <coughs> and uh, try to cram uh, an hour and a half into 45 minutes or whatever we've got here. <laughs> so, um, <coughs> we uh, technical difficulties always a challenge. But we will take that on the Lord's providence and proceed. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the time that we have left and uh, to bless our, our time in his word. And um, I'll ask uh, Patrick, would you open us in prayer, please? Dear Father, Lord, for another opportunity to uh, look at your word and dig deeper into what you uh, want to tell us about yourself and how to relate uh, with you and how to love our neighbors more than we love ourselves. We know that it all applies within the two great commandments. Um, so, Lord, open our hearts and minds to uh, learn and grow uh, much in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so again, I apologize for the technical difficulties and the delay in getting started. I had some good uh, quotes up here for you, but uh, you won't be able to see those. Um, let's see if I can get this thing to move. Now, if that doesn't move, then I'll just do it like this. <clears throat> um, I know that you're not seeing this, but I have some stuff on here that I don't have in my notes, so I'm going to look at this. I have a uh, uh, we're dealing with the topic of perseverance and assurance of faith. Mostly we're going to be focusing on perseverance, and, but assurance does tie in with that. I have a rather, rather lengthy definition of perseverance that I will start off with, but because it was lengthy, I had it on the overhead or on the PowerPoint that I could present to you so you could see it more easily. So you're going to just have to bear with me. Let me read this to you. And then I have a shorter version that I'm going to read to you that may be helpful. <clears throat> but if you will put on your thinking caps <clears throat> and um, try to follow along uh, with this definition, I believe it will be helpful in defining what we are talking about when we talk about the subject of perseverance. So what do we mean by perseverance? Those whom God has chosen, redeemed, called, regenerated, justified, and sanctified. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Those of you who got a copy of this that I passed out before will recognize that those categories are categories that are listed across here. And by the way, if you didn't get one of these, you're welcome to come up and pick one up right here afterwards. But... Um, those are the categories of uh, topics that are listed across here and that we've, and many of which we've already dealt with in this class. The only one that we haven't dealt with is the subject of sanctification, which was supposed to be for today, but um, because our brother Jason's um, wife Chris's grandfather passed away, he, he called me um, or talked to me on uh, Wednesday and asked if I could switch with him, so I agreed to do so. So I feel, sort of feel like I scrambled this together anyway. But anyway, um, the point is, is that all these categories, chosen, redeemed, called, regenerated, justified, and sanctified, those are categories that we've already dealt with. So that's the kind of, those are the people that we're talking about. Those whom God has done those things for can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace 
And that's really the essence of it. But there's some qualifications here. But will certainly persevere in faith to the end and be eternally saved, being kept by the power of God. And, th and though they may for a time lapse into very grievous sins, yet they will not ultimately fall away and reject Christ, but will renew their repentance and their obedience to the gospel. Okay, who can repeat that? <laughs> all right, I'm not going to go through that all again. I'm just going to give you the short version. Short version is this, because we're going to deal with those various categories there anyway as we go through the lesson. Shorter version is this. True believers will, despite lapses, continue in the faith and in obedience to God throughout their lives. That's the essence of it. Now, when I say continue in the faith, I'm talking about not only what they believe, but I'm talking about the body of doctrine, the truths that are set forth that we call the Christian faith in the <coughs> scriptures. So true believers will, despite temporary lapses, and there are those, continue in the faith and not just what they believe, but what they do, and in obedience to God throughout their lives. That's what the doctrine of perseverance is all about. So we're going to look then at what perseverance means in a little more detail, and then we're going to look at what perseverance does not mean. So let's begin with what perseverance means, and I'm going to be handing out passages of scripture here for you uh, as we go through this. <clears throat> um, perseverance means that true saints, as I've already indicated, will continue in the faith of the gospel. What do we mean by the faith of the gospel? I, I want to just give a, pre a brief um, overview of some of the things, but when you think about the faith of the gospel, when you think about the Christian faith, doctrinally speaking, um, what do you think about? What are some of the cardinal doctrines that a true believer will continue in? Trusting Christ and believing the truth about Christ. Okay, the truth about Christ, yes. Who he is, his person, and his work. What, what, what will we believe about Christ as far as who he is? That he's the son of God, that he is sinless, that he is one of the persons of the Trinity. And that actually ties in with, we're, we'll believe the Trinity too, won't we? We'll believe he's the God-man. Pardon me? Our advocate. We'll believe he's fully God, fully man, our advocate on our behalf. There's much that we will believe about Christ. We'll believe the two natures of Christ. We'll believe in the Trinity. We'll continue to believe in the sinlessness of Christ, as already been stated. Uh, we'll believe that he was born of a virgin, right? What else will we believe about Jesus? It's really crucial. He died he rose again. Yeah. He was raised from the dead. If he was not raised from the dead, we're of all men most miserable. You know, our, our faith is vain. 1 Corinthians 15. What else will we believe? That he, his substitutionary atonement. The redemptive nature of Christ's death. His death was not like there were thousands of people who been crucified. No man has ever been crucified whose crucifixion was redemptive except Jesus. 
the redemptive nature of his death. What about man? What do we believe about man? Made in the image of God and horrendously fallen. Amen. The scriptures teach that. That's why we need a redeemer. We are made in his image. We are fallen creatures. We need a redeemer. What about what's coming in the future? Return of Jesus. Christ is going to return. And and there will be judgment. The judgment day is coming. He'll establish a redeemed heaven and earth. A new heaven and a new earth. So all of these things are are doctrines that, um, and we could go on, but these are doctrines that we know comprise the Christian faith. And so when we talk about someone persevering, we're talking about their persevering in the faith of the gospel and all of those uh, doctrines that are related. When we talk about the gospel, we can say it has to do with, you know, just the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and trusting in Christ. and by trusting in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to us and our sins are imputed to him. And we can kind of look at it in a sort of a narrow sense. But all of that would not be true if God were not who he is. If God did not create the world, if man were not fallen. And so all of the doctrines of the Christian faith tie in with uh, what we call the faith of the gospel. So true saints then uh, will continue in the faith of the gospel. And that's what perseverance means. One of the things. What else? Does perseverance mean? It means that there will be some measure of growth in holiness that will occur. Now, had we taught this in the order in which it would normally have been taught, I'm sure Jason would have already talked about Hebrews 12:14. But Hebrews 12:14 says, "Without holiness, no man will see the Lord." Yeah. And so there will be some measure of holiness in the life of one who perseveres. That is what we are saved to become. In fact, we are predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. And he is holy. And so, Perseverance means some measure of growth in holiness will occur. There will be continuance in the faith, that is what we believe, continuance in love, continuance in our repentance, continuance in our hope, continuance in our joy, in redemption, in the gospel. These will continue as elements of, of our sanctification. Perseverance then also means not only continuance in the faith of the gospel, continuance in, in, in growth in the gospel, or growth in, in the faith, but also means that true believers will not commit certain sins, will not commit certain sins. If you think of certain sins that true believers won't commit. Denying the faith. Okay, denying faith. Is there such a thing as an unforgivable sin? Okay, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. All manner of sin will be forgiven us, but not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So a true believer will not commit the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. 
What other um, things might we say that a true believer will not commit? Turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, just to give you one example. 1 John chapter 3. First John three fourteen to fifteen and uh, Pastor Keith, would you read that those two verses for us fourteen and fifteen? We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So we we will not be haters of our Christian brothers. We'll love them. They may be hard to love sometimes, and that's for sure true. <clears throat> and if we know ourselves, we will say, I'm one of them. It's hard to love sometimes. But you know what? Our desire, our goal is to love Christian brothers. We desire their best. We're glad that they are Christian brothers and sisters. We're glad that they're going to go to heaven with us. And we're glad... <laughs> That God's going to give them a new nature someday, <laughs> just like He will us. All right, but we, you know, we don't hate our Christian brothers and sisters, and we long for their best, even though we see weaknesses and 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 struggles that they have. So this is a mark. This is a true mark of of a true believer. And we could go through the whole book of 1 John and identify other marks, and this would be where assurance would tie in if we were going to deal with the subject of assurance in more detail. But also there are various, what I'm going to call, life-dominating sins that would not characterize a true believer. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, let's see, Ron, would you read verses 9 and 10? Sure. Or do you not know that, a righteous, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Nor be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Go ahead and read verse 11, if you will, please. Okay. Such were some of you, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Okay. Now, when Paul lists these sins, what is he doing here? He's talking about those that he can describe as, for example, fornicators or idolaters. He's not saying, um, he's not referring to the sin itself, you know, the sin of fornication. He didn't use the word fornication. He used the word fornicators. He didn't use the word idolatry. He used the word idolaters. So he's talking about people. And he's talking about people who are characterized, whose life pattern is characterized by this particular sin. And what I want you to think about here is this. 
Um, there are certain life-dominating, life-characterizing sins that are such so that a person could be characterized by these categories that are listed here. He's not just saying um, there's somebody who once upon a time committed fornication or once upon a time uh, coveted or once upon a time got drunk. No, he's talking about somebody whose life, whose life is such that they can be characterized in their life as one of these sins. Does that make sense? And there are people like that. Just because somebody gets drunk once doesn't mean that they're a drunkard. But there are drunkards. Because their life pattern is that. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And he says that those whose life patterns, because in, this is not the only set of sins that could be listed here. And how many of us have committed these sins? There's some of them. You know, how many of us have at times or one time or another um, coveted <laughs> or swindled somebody or reviled somebody? You know, or done any number of, of other sins. We, we've all done these things, but do those sins dominate you? Do those sins characterize your life now? Are they the way you live? No, because, blessed be God, for verse 11, and such were, not are, such were some of you. But what happened? You were washed. You were sanctified, that is, set apart and made holy, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. A true believer is one who may at one time have been like this, may at one time have been characterized as one of these sins, but no longer. Now they've been washed, they've been cleansed, and those life-dominating sins no longer dominate because the Spirit of God dwells within them, as we talked about last time when we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives within them, and greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. And he gives us power to overcome these sins so that they no longer dominate us. And we can now talk about these life-dominating sins as being past tense. So that is what perseverance means. True believers will not be dominated by certain sins. What does perseverance not mean? Okay, let's look at that. Perseverance does not mean that every professing Christian will persevere. The emphasis on the word professing. How many of you know someone who one time professed Christ, seemed like they were just on fire for the Lord, seemed to love the Lord, seemed to be interested in the things of God, and seemed to, um, to, to you actually, you looked up to them and admired them because they seemed to be hotter than you for the Lord, you know? And yet, as time went on, something happened. That fire seemed to abate and to dwindle and to, to cool, and pretty soon it was just a little spark and pretty soon it went out. And today, where are they? 
Anybody know somebody like that? If you know somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, we probably know multiple people like that. Well, perseverance does not mean that every professing Christian will persevere. <laughs> Actually, it's just the other way around. If they were truly a Christian, then the spark wouldn't go out. The fire would continue. <clears throat> Matthew makes that clear. Um, Luke makes that clear. We think of cases. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. Now you think about that. Here's a man who traveled with the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul wasn't always willing to just let any old person travel with him. Right? Remember John Mark? Didn't want John Mark to go with him because he wasn't very confident in John Mark. So he was discerning. He, at least he sought to be discerning about who he let go with him. <clears throat> he let Demas go with him. And yet there was a time later when he had to write, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present evil world. Not every professing Christian will persevere. And their lack of perseverance is what reveals them to not be a true Christian. I'm reading in 2 Kings, and uh, it says, uh, These nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. And over and over they kept the high places and they served God. But they, they continue to serve at the high places now. Yeah. Well, externally, the nation of Israel, you know, they did certain <laughs> things that, that the Lord told them to do and serve the Lord, Jehovah, externally. But um, at the same time, they incorporated into their life um, idolatry. Is what it amounts to. And they wouldn't be true believers at all. Yeah. So amidst all of that, you know, amidst all the corruption in external Israel, there no doubt were faithful Israelites. And so we see, you know, Elijah, he's become so discouraged that he says, Lord, I only am left. And uh, because all these other people, and, and yet the Lord says, no, I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So there were, there were those scattered among the nation as a whole who yet did um, love the Lord and were faithful to the Lord. But the nation externally as a whole um, tried to kind of mix Christianity with idolatry. Or I mean, um, true, true, the true um, worship of the true God with idolatry. And God doesn't countenance that. So perseverance means that every professing Christian will persevere. And perseverance does not mean um, that it does not mean every professing Christian will persevere, and it does not mean that Christians cannot backslide or fall into serious and grievous sins. We can. You know, of course, the classic example from the Old Testament is David. You know, he committed adultery, and he sought to the murder of Uriah. But we can think of other occasions when people sin, and we know that, according to 1 John um, chapter 1, verses 8 9, if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar. You know, we, we, all, we all sin. And in fact, uh, that's what 1 John chapter 
um, 2 and verse 1 is about. You can flip there if you want to with me, and if not, I'll just read it for you. But um, the fact that we as Christians do sin from time to time is something that John is very much aware of and, um, and offers us some encouragement regarding this. For he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. He doesn't want us to sin. He's encouraging us not to sin. He does everything he can to, to keep us from sin. But he knows that we as Christians in the Christian community, we, we are all weak and we do sometimes sin. And he says, and if anyone, and if anyone sins, <laughs> okay, I'm right so you don't sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so here, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so um, John acknowledges the fact that we as Christians are, are bound to sin from time to time. Now, this is far different from, this is, this is stumbling into sin. This is sin with repentance and regret. This is not, and sorrow, this is not, Somebody whose life is characterized by somebody who just goes out and he's just, this is the way he's going to live. You know, it's not that. This is one who, who stumbles into sin from time to time and needs an advocate. And that's, and, and perseverance then does not mean that you can't backslide, you can't fall into sins. It does not mean that we cannot fall even, even into grievous sins. First, Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Ephesians 4.30. Um, Martha, would you read that one when uh, you find that? Um, Ephesians 4.30? Yes. Yes. Uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And he goes on and said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and, and slander be put away from you. Be kind to one another. But notice that he, he acknowledges that it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. So we can commit grievous sins. And actually any sin is probably grievous, no doubt is grievous to the Holy Spirit. When we entertain, at least for some time, bitterness or anger, um, engage in slander, those are... We're not kind to one another. We're not tender-hearted. We harbor resentment and we don't forgive, at least for some time. Um, those are sins that grieve the Holy Spirit, and we can commit those kinds of grievous sins. And so the point is simply that perseverance does not mean that Christians cannot backslide it does not mean that they cannot fall into serious and grievous sins. We can, and we do, in the Christian community. Um, Peter denied Christ three times. We can commit grievous sins, but again, just like Peter went out and wept bitterly, And David ended up writing Psalm 51, <clears throat> repenting, saying, You and you only, against you and you only have I sinned, Lord. Cleanse me, give me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. That's the mark of a true believer. We can commit grievous sins, 
but we don't enjoy them and wallow in them and, per and persevere in them. So, that is what perseverance means and what perseverance does not mean. And that's by way of definition. <laughs> so, now there are two sides to the matter of perseverance. Two sides to the matter of perseverance. Um, there is man's side and God's side. And um, when we think about, we'll think about man's side first. There is uh, what I'm going to call the requirement or the necessity of perseverance. How many of you remember um, Matthew 10:22, where Jesus says to his disciples, "He who endures to the end will be saved." Yeah. Now he's sending his disciples out. He's sending it out two by two. He says, you're going to undergo some really hard times. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be people against you. And it's going, to, it's going to get really rough at times. But he says, those who endure to the end will be saved. Look with me at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And look at verse 31. <coughs> Not everybody who says they believe is truly a believer. In John 8, verse 31, we read, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, interesting, to those Jews who had believed him, you've been preaching, there are some who believed him. What does he say? If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Okay, I know you are believing in me, at least externally, Ostensibly, you appear to believe, but you need to understand something, Jesus says to them. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, he says to them. Now, jump with me <clears throat> to the very end of the chapter, verse 59. Look at these same people after Jesus says some additional things to them. Joe, what does he say in verse 59? So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Huh. Wow. So what happened in between times? Here is their belief. They're following him. They heard him preach and teach. They're following. They believe him. Something happens, and now they're picking up stones to stone him. Well, in the meantime, and Jesus warned them just flat out, if you abide in my words, then... You are truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, he says in verse 32. And he went on and he, he explained to them something about what was going to, to happen. And um, he rebuked them because he knew what was truly in their, in their hearts. And instead of their receiving the rebuke, instead of their understanding what he was saying, Instead of their re receiving the truth, they reject him. In verse 45 says, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. And so it ends up that they end up picking up stones to stone him. 
The scriptures tell us that, and Jesus tells us that we must abide in him, abide in his word. And in fact, in chapter 15, in verse 6, <coughs> that's what he, he says later on, same, using the same terminology. <coughs> he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And so it is, it is important, it is, it is an, a necessity, it is a requirement that we abide in Christ, that we continue in Christ, that we hear Christ, that we're connected to Christ, that we continue to love Christ, that we worship the Lord. <clears throat> Perseverance from man's side is a necessity. You remember the parable of the soils, four soils, and I think most of us in here, as I'm looking through, probably remember that parable. <clears throat> Of the four soils, um, how many of them turned out to be good soil? Just one. But it's very interesting to me what, how Luke uh, frames the third, um, the third type of soil. Let me find this verse here. <coughs> In describing the four soils, he says, and those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Oh, that's what we want. We, Mark comes and preaches. He wants people who are to receive the word with joy, right? Receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while. And in time of temptation, fall away. So here's some who receive the word with joy. They believe it. At least it looks like it. Amongst there, and this is what I asked you about earlier. We all know people like this. They believe. They receive the word. They believe it. They're happy about it. And yet, life goes on. Weeks, days, months, maybe years go on. And then temptation comes. Certain temptations, certain struggles, certain life uh, hardships or whatever come, come the way of this individual who's really not in a, a good soil, who they themselves are not the good soil. And what happens is they have no firm root and they fall away, they wither. <clears throat> but I just found it it's, it's very interesting that, that, um, that Luke describes them as those who receive it with joy. And this is actually Jesus teaching it. Jesus teaches there are some who receive it with joy and who believe for a while. So it is, it is a necessity that we persevere, that we continue, that we abide in Christ, that we endure to the end. <clears throat> there are many exhortations in the word of God to do so. Um, there's one book of the Bible that is kind of the book of um, exhortation to perseverance par excellence. <laughs> Anybody know what book that is? Which, which book of the Bible just has repeated incur, um, warnings and encouragements to persevere? Yeah? How was that? Was Revelation endured to the end? Uh, well, maybe Revelation. Everything? Mm, no. <laughs> How about Hebrews? 
<laughs> right. The book of Hebrews, over and over again, the book of Hebrews. Um, <clears throat> we, we could look at, there's, there's at least five very, very strong warnings in the book of Hebrews. Look with me, if you will, at the book of Hebrews. And um, let's go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, and I'm just going to read this real quickly for the, in the interest of time. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, that is, under the Old Testament economy, if, if, if those transgressions and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed, etc. So here's this, this strong warning. Persevere. How are we going to escape? If you think, if they didn't escape under the old covenant with the amount of light they had there, do you think that we're going to escape under the new covenant with the increased light that we have here? He's what he's saying. Look with me at chapter 3 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. We could read actually from chapter 3, verse 5, all the way to the end of, of chapter 4. <laughs> but um, we don't have time to, to read all of that. But look with me just starting down at verse 12. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it, as it, as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For if we have become partakers of Christ, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. You see, so here is this encouragement. Take care, brothers, lest there should be in any of you a, a, an evil, unbelieving heart. That can happen. Look with me at chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Hebrews. Starting with verse 3. Um, it says we're going to move on beyond some elementary teaching. It says, and this we will do, <clears throat> if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened... And notice this, how, how close these people came to the truth. Have once been enlightened and have tasted the, of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. This is a scary passage. Since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. The book of Hebrews has some very, very strong, severe warnings. Here, are, here are, are people who have been as close as you can get to being a true Christian without Christ. Examples, think of, uh, probably the example par excellence would be Judas. Was not Judas a man like this? He, he had been enlightened. <laughs> he, he walked with the Savior, heard the Savior, for three years, 
He tasted of the heavenly gift. Christ is the heavenly gift. He, he lived with them. He's tasted, he had been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. By that I think it means that they, they, they have seen the works, the powerful works of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, it very well may be that Judas himself engaged in healing and casting out of demons. If we go back and read Matthew 10, the Judas himself was able to do some of those kinds of things where he saw, he saw firsthand the power of the Holy Spirit unlike any other. They've tasted the good word of God. He heard Jesus teach. And the powers of the age to come, when he, when, when he saw all that took place in the, in the life of, of Christ, he was experiencing the powers of the age to come. And someone who has done that and then have fallen away says it is impossible. Do you see, because they're sinning against light that they know, it's not that they're ignorant. They know. They've seen. They've been there. They've tasted. They've been as close as you can be to the real thing without being the real thing. And so it is impossible for them to renew their repentance. Well, if we, we could go on, there's other warnings in the book of Hebrews which we don't have time to look at. But what, what hope do we have? We live in a world that is, that is constantly dragging us down, trying to get us, to entice us, to get us to fall away from Christ. What, what hope do we have that we will persevere? Where is our hope? Well, this is where it turns to God's side. Jude 24 says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling... He doesn't say, now unto your own ability to keep yourself from falling. No, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you fault, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and evermore. Amen. Where does our hope lie? Our hope lies in the Lord because... Perseverance is not just a one-sided, uh, one-sided responsibility or one-sided um, activity. It's two-sided. Man has his responsibility, yes, and we've talked about that. But God has his part, and that's what is called the preservation of the saints. God is going to see that his saints are preserved. There are some... Jesus says that the Father has given me. There are some to whom the Father has given me. And he says, all that the Father has given me, I will lose none. That's where our hope is. God has given some to the Son, and the Son is not going to lose them. He predestined our likeness to Christ, according to Romans 8.29. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He has determined in the past, in, in eternity past, that we would become like him. Not all at once, slowly, gradually growing, bit by bit, but growing, stumbling along the way, yes, but continuing up and repenting and growing until the 
till the final day when he makes us anew and we're glorified. God is doing that. God planned to save us from eternity past, and God began the work on us. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, you might turn with me real quickly to that passage. Philippians chapter 1 is probably a passage that you maybe have memorized in the past. What, what is Paul's confidence in, in um, Philippians? He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who begins the work? God began the work. Who continues the work? If you flip over to chapter 2 of, of Philippians, we see, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in, my presence, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is your responsibility. You're to work out your salvation. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. God is continuing that work. He began the work, according to Paul, in, in verse 6 of chapter 1. He's continuing that work. He's continuing to cause us to will and to do his good pleasure. And he will, con and he will continue that work for how long? Well, back to verse 6 of chapter 1, until he perfects it, it's completed until the day of Christ Jesus. He begins it. He continues it. He's going to finish it. That's in you. He, he he's the one who began the work in you. You didn't start it on your own. Now, it may have been beneath the level of our consciousness at times, for sure. But he's the one that began that work. He's the one who changed your heart. He's the one who regenerated you. And he's the one that's continuing day by day to give you the heart and desire to grow, to be more like him. And he will continue that work until the day of Christ. And that day is when he is going to do what Jude says. He is going to present you faultless before the throne of God to the glory of Christ. He's, Christ has got a bride and he's going to present his bride. So he's continuing that work. And he will, come, he will perfect it. He's, according to 2 Thessalonians, he strengthens and protects us against Satan. According to 2 Timothy, he guards our souls until Christ returns. According to 2 Timothy chapter 4, he delivers us from persecution and he brings us to heaven. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we are protected by the power of God until the day of Christ. And according to John 10, 28 and 29, we are in Christ's hands. He says, you are in the hand of Christ. And nobody is able to snatch you out of that. He says, but not, but not only that, you're in the hand of God. And it's almost like you as his sheep are in Christ's hand and God puts his hand over Christ's. He says, no man can snatch my sheep from my hand. You see, this is God's side. God is going to see to it that we persevere. We are not going to fail because he will never fail. So perseverance is certain. Now unto him, let us just pray this, this verse as a prayer in closing. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, you, O Lord, are able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of your glory with exceeding joy, 
to you, our only wise God and Savior, we give glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. May we now worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.